Thumbelina by Hans Christian Andersen. There was once a woman whose one desire was to have a tiny child, but she did not know where to find one. One day she went to an old witch and said to her, With all my heart I should like a little child. Will you tell me where I can find one? Ah, that is easy, said the old witch. Here is a barleycorn which is very special. It is not like those which grow in the farmer's field and which he feeds to his hens. No, no. Put it in a flower head. Then you will see something. Oh, thank you, said the woman and gave the kind witch a piece of silver. When she arrived home, she planted the barleycorn, and immediately a large and beautiful flower began to grow from it. It looked rather like a tulip, but the petals remained shut, just as if it were still in bud. This is a charming flower, said the woman, and kissed its red and gold petals. She was still caressing the flower when it opened with a loud snap. Before her eyes, it had blossomed into a tulip. And right in the heart of the flower where the stalk grew sat a tiny maiden, fair and lovely to look upon, but no bigger than a thumb. And for this reason she was named Thumbelina. A pretty painted walnut shell served Thumbelina as a cradle. Violet petals were her mattress and a rose petal she had for a cover. There she slept at night, but in the daytime she played on the table. There the woman had placed a plate round which lay a circle of flowers whose stems rested in the water, and on a leaf Thumbelina would sit and sail from one side of the plate to the other, using for oars two white horsehairs. One night, while Thumbelina lay in her pretty little bed, there came stealing through the open window an old toad. The toad was ugly, large and wet and she hopped right down onto the table where Thumbelina lay sleeping under her red rose petal. Ah, this little one would make a fine wife for my son, said the toad to herself. And seizing the walnut shell in which Thumbelina slept, she hopped off through the window and down into the garden. There a broad brook flowed between swampy, muddy banks and down in the mud lived the toad with her son. He was also large and ugly, the very picture of his mother. Quack! Quack! was all he could say when he saw the pretty little maiden in the walnut shell. Be quiet! said the toad. She will wake up and run away from us. She is as light as a feather. Indeed, so small and light is she that we shall lay her on a broad water lily leaf in the middle of the brook. It will be just for her like an island. Then she cannot run away but stay there safely while we get ready a guest room deep in the mud where she will live with us. In the middle of the brook there grew many water lilies with broad green leaves. They looked as if they were swimming on the water. The leaf furthest away from the bank was the biggest of all, and to this one the toad swam out and set down the walnut shell containing Thumbelina. When the poor little maiden woke up early next morning and saw where she was, she began to cry bitterly. Water. There was nothing but water round the great green leaves. She could not possibly reach land. 
In the mud below the bank, the old toad was busily decorating the guest room with rushes and golden water lily buds. She was arranging everything as beautifully as she could for her new daughter-in-law. When she had completed her preparations, the old toad and her ugly son swam out to the lily leaf where they had left Thumbelina. First they wanted to fetch her pretty little bed which they would put in the bridal chamber before she herself arrived. The old toad curtsied deeply to her, saying, May I present to you your husband with whom you will dwell most comfortably in the swamp. Quack, quack, was again all that her son could say. Then they took the little bed and swam off to the bank with it. All alone again on a lily-leaf island, Thumbelina sat weeping. She did not want to live with the ugly toad or marry her ugly son. But the little fish who swam under the water had seen the old toad and heard all that she had said, and pushing their heads out of the water, they looked at the tiny maiden. How pleased they were at the sight of the fair Thumbelina. No, never, they decided, should she go down into the swamp to live with the ugly toads. And they gathered round the stem of the water lily below the surface and began to nibble through the stalk which held it up. Suddenly the leaf parted from its stem, began to float down the brook with Thumbelina on it. On and on it sailed and very soon was quite out of reach of the toad and her ugly son. Thumbelina swept past many towns, both large and small, and the birds in the bushes saw her and sang, What a dear little maiden! On and on the leaf floated until Thumbelina had reached another country. A little white butterfly, which never tired of flying round her, at last fluttered down onto the leaf beside her. So much did it like the little maiden. Thumbelina was delighted that the toad could no longer reach her and the journey became ever more beautiful. The sun shone on the water, made it glitter like gold and Thumbelina, taking off her belt, tied one end around the butterfly and fastened the other end to the leaf, so drawn by the butterfly she glided on even faster. Suddenly a great cockchafer flew by and catching sight of Thumbelina flew down and in its claws snatched up the slender figure and flew off with her into a tree. The water lily leaf floated off down the brook still pulled by the butterfly which was quite unable to free itself. It was bad enough for the cockchafer to have carried off Thumbelina, but it was all the sadder for the beautiful white butterfly bound fast to the leaf, quite unable to escape. But the cockchafer did not care. It just sat with Thumbelina on a leaf, gave her nectar to sup and told her how beautiful she was. Later, all the other cockchafers who lived in the tree came to visit them. They studied Thumbelina from all sides and the cockchafer wives turned up their feelers and tittered. She has funny old two feet which make her look very funny, said some. She has no feelers, said others. And how slender around the hips she is. She looks like a human being. Oh, how ugly she is, laughed all the cockchafer wives. But to the cockchafer who had carried her off, she seemed beautiful. Gradually, however, as all the others thought her so ugly, he began to agree with them and soon wanted to have nothing more to do with her. Thumbelina could go whenever she wanted. And flying down from the tree with her, he put her on a daisy plant among the grass. 
There Thumbelina wept because she was so ugly that not one of the cockchafers had liked her. She could not know that she was finer and more beautiful than the most splendid rose. For the whole summer Thumbelina lived all alone in the forest. She wove for herself a little bed out of blades of grass and hung it under a large burdock leaf which at least gave her shelter from the rain. For food Thumbelina looked for nectar among the flowers and drank the dew which gathered on the leaves in the morning. So summer and autumn passed and now the long cold winter was approaching. All the birds which had sung so sweetly flew away. Flowers and leaves withered. The large burdock leaf under which her little bed hung curled up and all that remained was a dry yellow stalk. Thumbelina was bitterly cold. Her clothes were torn and she was so delicate and tiny that she could not help shivering. It began to snow and as each snowflake fell on the little maiden it was as if someone had thrown a shovelful of snow over her. She was so very tiny. There she crouched under a dry leaf and trembled with cold. Then Thumbelina began to wander through the bare trees. At last she came to the edge of the wood and there before her lay a broad cornfield. The corn had long before been gathered in and only the dry, bare stubble stood up in the frozen earth. To Thumbelina this stubble was a great thick forest and still she shivered with cold. At last she came to the house of a field mouse who had made her little home in a dry hollow among the stubble. Here the field mouse lived warmly and comfortably in one room and a kitchen. Her little dining room had been completely filled with a store of corn. Thumbelina stopped before the door like a poor beggar maid and asked if she might have a little piece of barley corn as she had eaten nothing for two days. Were you poor child? said the field mouse, for at heart she was a kind old field mouse. She thought Thumbelina was very pretty and after a little while she said, If you like you can stay here in comfort with me for the winter. In return you must keep my house tidy and tell me stories. Listening to stories is my greatest joy. So Thumbelina stayed and did what the field mouse asked and everything went splendidly. One day the field mouse said to her, Thumbelina was not very happy about this. She did not want to have anything to do with this neighbour, for he was a mole. Next day, however, the mole made a formal call in his black fur coat. He was rich and also learned, according to the field mouse. Certainly he was rich. His house was twenty times bigger than that of the field mouse. Learned he may have been, but he knew nothing of the sun and the beautiful flowers and even said that he hated them. Thumbelina had now to please the field mouse to sing many songs. The mole liked the little maiden very much and enjoyed her singing, but in the meantime he said nothing for he was a prudent man. The mole had dug a long passage through the earth from the field mouse's house to his own, 
Along this passage, the mole said that the field mouse and Thumbelina could walk as often as they liked. But today he would accompany them, and he requested them not to be afraid of the dead bird which lay in their path. It had died of cold, he said, a short time before at the beginning of winter. The mole seized in his mouth a piece of rotten wood which shone dimly in the dark and went ahead of the others to light the way along the long, dark passage. When they came to the place where the dead bird lay, the mole pushed the earth up with his snout so that a large hole appeared in the roof of the passage and daylight streamed down. Now Thumbelina could see, lying on the ground, the body of a swallow. Its beautiful wings were pressed against its side and its legs and head were tucked down under its feathers. The poor bird was frozen stiff. Thumbelina felt so sorry for it and she thought of all the little birds who sang and chirped so happily throughout the summer. But the mole pushed the swallow aside impatiently with its short legs and said, Now it will whistle no more, silly creature. What good are birds? All they can do is whistle and sing in summer with no thought for the winter. And yet it is pitiful to think that a little bird should be born only to come to such an end. Thank goodness that can never happen to my children. Yes, you are a sensible man, the field mouse agreed. What good does a bird do for all its twittering? When winter comes, it must starve and freeze. All this time, Thumbelina was silent. But when the other two turned their backs, she bent down and parting the feathers on its head, she kissed the bird's closed eyes. Perhaps it was this furry swallow which had sung so beautifully to her in the summer, she thought. The mole now stopped up the hole through which the daylight was shining and accompanied the ladies home. But that night Thumbelina could not sleep. She rose and with straw began to weave a fine cover. This she carried down the long passage and spread it over the dead bird. She also tucked under him some cotton wool which she had found in the field mouse's room so that he might lie comfortably on the cold earth. Farewell, dear bird, she said, and thank you for your beautiful summer song which you sang when the trees were still green and the sun shone warmly down. Then Thumbelina laid her little head on the bird's breast. Suddenly she started up terrified for it was as if she heard a loud knocking. It was the bird's heart. The swallow was not dead after all, only numb with cold. Now that it was growing a little warmer, life was gradually returning. In autumn, when all the swallows fly away to warmer lands, there are always one or two who are late in starting. These are the ones which become so cold that often they fall to the ground where they appear to be dead. The snow spreads its blankets over them and soon their little hearts stop beating. Thumbelina shivered. The bird opposite her, since after all she was only the length of a thumb, suddenly seemed as big as a giant. But at last she took courage, packed the cotton wool tighter around the swallow, fetched the leaf which served him as a cover and laid it over the bird's head. The next night she again stole down to the swallow. Now it was really living but so feebly that it could only open its eyes for a brief moment to look at Thumbelina. Thumbelina who stood there holding a rotten piece of wood in her hand for she had no other lamp. 
Thank you, dear child, whispered the sick swallow. I am beautifully warm now. Soon I will have regained my strength and will fly again into the warm sun. It is still very cold outside, said Thumbelina. It is snowing and freezing hard. Stay in bed where it is warm and I shall take care of you. Thumbelina brought the swallow water to drink in a flower petal and the swallow told her how it had torn its wing on a thorn bush and therefore could not fly as quickly as the other swallows, the swallows who had all departed to warmer lands. It had fallen to the ground and could remember nothing else. It did not know at all how it had arrived there. The whole winter the swallow remained underground and Thumbelina was good to it. But neither the field mouse nor the mole knew anything about this. That was a good thing, for they did not like the poor swallow. As soon as spring came and the sun again warmed the earth, the swallow prepared to say goodbye. Thumbelina opened the hole in the roof that the mole had made earlier and then stopped up again, and the sun shone in warmly. The swallow asked Thumbelina if she would not like to come too. She could sit on his back, he said, and together they could fly far off into the greenwood. But Thumbelina knew that it would annoy the old field mouse if she went away without saying goodbye. No, I cannot do that, she said sadly. Goodbye, called the swallow and flew out into the sunshine. Thumbelina looked after him anxiously with tears in her eyes. She had become very fond of the swallow. Give it, sang the swallow and flew off into the greenwood. How unhappy Thumbelina was that she too could not fly into the warm sunshine. The corn grew high over the field mouse's house and the stalks seemed as tall as forest trees to the little Thumbelina. Now that summer has come, you must sew up your trousseau, said the field mouse one day to Thumbelina. Thumbelina began to spin. The field mouse hired four more spindles and Thumbelina had to weave and spin all day and all night. Each morning the mole called upon her and spoke of nothing but the sun, which, thank goodness, he said, was not shining so brightly. When the summer came to an end, he complained, the earth would be burned as hard as a brick. It was arranged that the marriage would take place at the beginning of autumn. Thumbelina was not at all happy about this. She had no love for the tiresome mole. Each morning when the sun rose and each evening when it set, she would steal out to the door and wait until the wind, rustling through the ears of corn, parted them and she could see a small patch of shining blue sky. Then Thumbelina thought how gay and beautiful it looked out there and how she wished that the dear swallow would come to see her. But he never came. He had flown far away into the greenwood. When autumn came, Thumbelina had her trousseau already. In four weeks' time we shall have the wedding, said the field mouse, but Thumbelina wept and said, I do not want to marry the old mole. Tut, 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 said the field mouse. If you are silly, I shall have to nip you with my white teeth. Is, is he not a handsome fellow in his black velvet coat? Even the Queen would not refuse him. And he has a splendid house and cellar. What, what more could you want? 
the day of the wedding came. The mole had already arrived to fetch Thumbelina. Deep under the earth she would have to live. Never more would she see or feel the warmth of the sun. Thumbelina could scarcely bear the thought of it. She must now say farewell forever to the sun, which she had at least sometimes been allowed to see from the field mouse's door. Farewell, fair sun, said the wretched child, and stretching her arm high towards the sky, she stepped a little further from the field mouse's door, for the corn had already been cut and here stood only the dried stubble. Farewell, she cried as she embraced a little red flower which bloomed there. Send greetings from me to the swallow if you should see him. was suddenly heard above Thumbelina's head and looking up she saw the swallow. As soon as he caught sight of Thumbelina he was overjoyed and swooped down to her. Thumbelina told him how unwilling she was to become the mole's wife and how she would have to live forever underground where the sun never shone and she wept bitterly. Thumbelina, chirped the swallow, now that the cold winter is coming I shall fly far away to a warmer land. Will you not come with me? I shall take you on my back, tie your sash around my neck and we shall fly from the hateful mole in his dark room. Fly away over the mountains to a land where the sun shines even more brightly than it does here, where it is always summer and always beautiful flowers bloom. Fly with me, dear little Thumbelina, who saved my life when I lay frozen in the dark cellar of the earth. How I should love to come with you, cried Thumbelina, overjoyed, and settling herself at once on the swallow's back with her feet on his outstretched wings, she tied her sash around his strongest feathers. Then the swallow flew high into the air above wood and lake and over high mountains where the snow never melted. When Thumbelina began to shiver in the cold air, she crouched under the bird's warm feathers, stretching out only her little head to see all the wonders which lay below. At last they came to warm lands. The sun shone brighter, the sky was twice as high, and on the trees and hedges grew the most beautiful green and blue grapes. In the woods hung lemons and oranges, there was a scent of myrtle and peppermint and in the village streets children played with large bright butterflies. But the swallow flew on and the landscape became more and more beautiful. Under the lovely green trees on a blue lake stood an ancient castle of snow white marble. Vines climbed the high pillars and far above many swallows nests were perched. In one of these lived the little swallow which had brought Thumbelina here. This is my home, said the swallow. Look for the most beautiful flower which blooms there and I shall put you down in it and you will be happier than you have ever been before. How beautiful, exclaimed Thumbelina, clapping her hands. Down there lay a great white marble pillar which had fallen to the ground and broken into three pieces. Between the pieces grew the most marvellous white flowers. The swallow flew down and set Thumbelina on one of their broad petals. But how astonished Thumbelina was! In the middle of the flower sat a tiny man as white and as transparent as if made of glass. He wore a golden crown on his head, wings grew from his shoulders, and most wonderful of all, he was no larger than Thumbelina. 
In each of the flowers lived a little man or a little woman, but this one was king of them all. How handsome he is, whispered Dumbelina to the swallow. The little prince at first shrank back from the swallow, who seemed to him as large as a giant. But when he saw Thumbelina, he was very happy. Here was the most beautiful maiden that he had ever seen. Taking the gold crown from his head, he placed it on Thumbelina's and asked her her name, begged her to become his wife. Then he said she would be queen of all the flowers. This was indeed quite a different suitor from the hateful frog son or the boring mole in his black velvet coat. Thumbelina said, yes. Yes to the handsome prince. And from every flower stepped little people so slender and delicate that one could not help admiring them all. Each of them brought a gift to Thumbelina, their queen. The best present of all was a pair of beautiful wings which were fastened to Thumbelina's shoulders so that she could fly from flower to flower. This was her greatest joy. The little swallow in his nest above sang to her as sweetly as he knew how, but in his heart he was very sad. He held Thumbelina very dear and was unhappy at the thought of being separated from her. You shall no longer be called Thumbelina, said the flower prince to his delicate little bride. You are much too beautiful for such an ugly name. We shall call you Queen Maya. Farewell. Farewell, called the swallow and flew off from the sunny land on his way back to the north. There he had a little nest which he had built just above the window where lived the man who first told this story. Give it, give it, he sang and it is thanks to the swallow that we know the story of Thumbelina or as she is now, Queen Maya.